Guys, Zora Sigma is here. Why are you using her full name? Oh, great. Uh, send her in. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Sorry I'm late. I got caught up watching the Torchwood Marathon. Have you seen those things? Yeah, yeah. Um, th- those, those are great. Well, I checked out the track and I loved it. And I wrote you this big sexy hook I think you're really going to dig. Oh, wow, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, brilliant. Should we great. just lay it down? Boys, let's get to it. Here we go. Uh, Ucast, Laura Sigma. Mix multi-track. The boys are back. The car starts. Car starts now, baby. Let's transmit. Listener champing at the bit when downloading it. Blow through your phones, we know what to do. Agree, make some tea and talk. Doctor Who. Ladies wide-eyed when they walk into the box. There's a fella looking stellar with a scarf and curly locks. Lock all of time and space. What do you think? Act cool, play the fool, just run and don't blink. This is the tale of Captain Jack Harkless. Heroes so brave. Anything. What? Immortal soul in the city of Cardiff has a nice coat and does some flirting. Yeah, that was kind of weird, but we're back with the doc. doc. Using the Sonic, he can crack any lock. Not cybernetic, top man, Dalek, top gunner. TARDIS goes warp, now the doctor's done a runner. Jack Harkness. Watch your girl, cause they're in your normal time, Lord. Not on Gallifrey, and I'll never leave you dead. Yeah, yeah. All dressed up, my bow tie is on, and I make you feel crazy now with that. Now back to the good part. The day he appeared, he seemed unessential. No. Oh, Captain Jack is a bit of a hoe. He's the boss of Torchwood. Yeah, uh-huh. The gesture of the vortex. Oh, he and Toe Jones lover. Put your hands in the air and say hell yeah, come on Captain Jack, what? Cardiff Bay From the front to the back, full of quark attack, come on Eantel Jones, no. cyber chick Wrong. Listen honey, we're really gonna need you to focus up Roger that, let me try with another show Wait, now I'm on the Jersey Shore Where we all have lots to say Not better We're not the sharpest tools in the shed But we have ten bonds of pairs Come on Okay then, I'm a boy wizard Merlin is my name no. The welcome of all fireflies We're about to rock a train Close enough If your hand touches metal I swear by my pretty floral bonnet I will end you This is the tale Of Captain Van Reynolds This is the tale Devil brown coats Blood and romance Got a ramshackle crew Now the earth is polluted I've a gun on my hip Extremely tight pants. Extremely tight pants. Okay, seems like my wife watches a little bit too much TV. Live long and prosper. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever Oodcast Awards. Hey. Hey. Hi. 
Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Oodcast, where we are going to celebrate Season 6 through the medium of the awards show. <laughs> uh, with me this week is the magnificent Andrew Candish. Oh, hi. The beauteous Laura Sigma. I, you know, I'm more, more to me than looks, you know. <laughs> the intelligent and witty Chris Alpha. Th- there's more to me than Brett. Hang on. Oh, uh, well. Hello, anyway. And me, Chris Sigma. Woo. Yay. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Brilliant. So we've had a. We've. I think over the past few weeks, we've tried to re-watch some of season six. Do we feel well versed, guys? <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Why, why not? You're not talking yeah. in your microphone. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sure, why not? Me too. Y- you do? Yeah. Well, I bought my... Um, what do you call them these days? HDR. HDR. Hard disk recorder. I bought one of them. DVR. Cheap in a, in a sale. For some reason, the first two things that sprang to my mind when you said what you'd bought were eggs and trainers. <laughs> So Andy had bought some eggs, some trainers, and a DVR. So the traditional method of recording. Is it DVR? Digital Digital Video video Recorder. recorder. Is that what it's called? I'm not sure. I'm not going to go on record saying it's definitely Mm. that. It's got a disc in it that you record on, apparently. Now I'm thinking about some eggs inside trainers, sort of sloshing around a bit. You mean it has a disc in it like a hard drive does? Mm, A hard drive, yeah. And then you record the telly onto that, the telly pictures and the sound onto that. Imagine Um, putting your feet in there, it'd be really squishy. mm, Especially if you added eggs as well. What, more eggs? More eggs, over the top. You can't make a DVR without breaking some eggs. Mm -mm. That's what my ground said. Mm. But the problem was, you see, that I bought it um, just after The Curse of the Black Spot. So I don't have the first three episodes. Oh, no. So I haven't seen them again. The best episodes, eh? So all of that was just an extended brag about buying a piece of hardware <laughs> in a sale. I got it cheap in a sale. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. So I think we're all going to have a couple of categories that we're going to present. And then we'll have a bit of... We'll each nominate something for that category. Have a bit of discussion. Try and persuade each other. Final vote. And then we'll award the Oodcast Award. Yes. And iBag's doing the first category because I'm the lady... Yeah, okay. Okay. Leaders first. That's right. Um, So anyhow, this is probably the most obvious category, I think, to pick. And the uh, title is Best Episode. So... Are we going to treat um, episodes all individually or when it's a two-part story? Individually. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. So if you thought that The Impossible Astronaut was hugely better than The Day of the Moon... Then you would say, say so. that. Then one. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. all right. Yeah. So, um, as the presenter, it's my prerogative to say who gets first pick. And then we will describe why we think it's the best and we'll all vote on it. You're not allowed to vote for your own one. Okay. Oh, okay. So, I'm going to exercise my prerogative as the leader of this particular section and say my favourite one is The Girl Who Waited. I'm going to say The God Complex. I'm going to say. The Doctor's Wife! Oh, why am I not surprised? Mm. I'm really torn because I was going to nominate The Girl Who Waited just because it wasn't The Doctor's Wife. No, no, but come, I, come I, with me. I, I'm going to, yes. I, I nominate The Doctor's Wife as well. Okay, then. I think we <clears> should start with Andy for this rather strange suggestion. What? <laughs> Go on, sell us on it. All right, okay, cool. Well, <coughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> I think a story that involves 
such um, a thoughtful narrative and set of ideas in such a bold, intriguing and uh, mind-boggling setting with such an interesting set of characters that are so beautifully well played with such uh, inimitable direction and poetic visuals and soundscape I believe that this was a truly remarkable piece of television that I actually have come back to quite a number of times more than I usually come back to in any episode of Doctor Who I thought that was a beautiful description but not of that episode what? No, it, I mean that's a much better description of the Doctor's wife but you know no no I take your <laughs> point I, I, I see the great things about the God Complex and it does have a huge amount of of, of great things uh, specifically the characterization of the people trapped in the hotel I think they're all very well drawn I think I forget her name but we all know that the character the, who the dies, Muslim girl yeah mm. is an absolutely brilliant Super. character um, but for me the doctor's wife I saw the doctor's wife um, being shown on the coach as we were going to the TARDIS set so I saw maybe about 15 minutes of it and just seeing that 15 minutes made me want to see the whole episode again immediately just stay on the coach not get off and, and see the TARDIS and just watch the episode it just came back to me how brilliant it was Idris is an amazing creation every line that Neil Gaiman gives her is wonderful it's either hugely funny or hugely poignant or just brilliantly drawn and she's just one part of this amazing story uh, and world that he, he creates um, so for me there was no argument at all the doctor's wife is probably my favorite ever doctor who episode it's certainly my favorite of season six the thing for me with the doctor's wife is that it's like a love letter to the series from a fan who's been watching it forever and understands the, the mechanisms of the series really well and does something extraordinary with what is a central character for doctor who which is obviously the tardis and i think it's wonderful the way that he characterizes what up until now has been a machine or an object, you know. But what doesn't quite work for me is the um, the scenes in the TARDIS where Amy mm. and Rory are being chased around. That, yeah. to me, feels like time being filled. And I suspect it's budgetary issues. They couldn't have a swimming pool. They couldn't do this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, but somehow it just... Was a little bit of a letdown. I'm not sure how you can argue that when you're voting for an episode that filmed awful lot of it in a corridor. But what was done visually and with the characters within the setting and the God Complex for me, it just knocks my socks off. I think it's just wonderful. Well, I had to pick the girl who waited for a couple of reasons. One, it was pretty much the only episode in the series that made me shed a tear because I think of the emotional realism of it and the fact that that sense of love and loss came through so strongly in this one um, it seemed to translate a lot of the sort of the loneliness and self-reflection of the human condition onto the screen very eloquently um, I also like the fact that it was a bit of a homage to bits of the twilight zone that I've seen recently particularly things like um, the episode is anybody there or where is everybody where a man is in a town um, where everywhere he goes there's signs that people have just been there but he could never see anyone and just this idea of 
developing and aging in a world without people, sort of a, a world that's designed to stay, sustain you, but without any of that human sustenance that you need so badly, and how that would shape and mould a person's character was really, really interesting for me. This nightmarish idea of existing in a space completely alone, which is something that I think a lot of people find absolutely terrifying, and is kind of hinted at a little bit in The Doctor's Wife, where you see what happens to Rory when he's mm. trapped in the corridor by himself for years and years and years. And the response of that character to it, to end up in a state of sort of hatred rather than Amy, who ends up so much more complex mm. as a character, was, I thought, a lot more interesting to see. Mm. I think that I find myself agreeing with what Laura says. Not to the extent where I'm changing my mind on my favourite episode, but it's the depth of those two episodes, The Girl Away Hidden God Complex, for me, which um, just elevates them up to really, really great television. Whereas The Doctor's Wife is wonderful and lovely and makes me feel warm uh, inside. But, you know, when you get to Girl Away Hidden God Complex, you think, oh, blimey, look at, look at what this is doing I on think, so many levels I think what would probably give the God Complex and the Doctor's Wife the edge over the girl who waited would be the the sort of the detailing of the supporting characters but as yes. that's something we're going to come to later true well, I don't know because one of the reasons I preferred the Doctor's Wife to the girl who waited marginally is the difference between the reactions of Amy and Rory whether it's in, in the Doctor's Wife it could be either entirely from Amy's perspective she's seeing Rory having to kind of wait and finally snapping um, the, the way or, or whether it's actually her being shown what Rory would be like um, the, the second time waiting for her again um, I, I don't know but um, either way he seems to have coped with waiting for her far better than she coped waiting for either of them and to me that gave the girl who waited that bit of a, a cold edge that sort of took a bit of the shine off that episode for me. For the Doctor's Wife, I think it's it's I don't know. It is a love letter to the series, but it starts with um, possibly the biggest conceit you could possibly use in an episode of Doctor Who, bar the Who part, um, and then just runs with it without you know even making it look like it's a big thing to be doing. Um, and that, I think, there's so many lovely, tiny touches. I mean, there's, you know, bits at the beginning and, and all the way through to, to make uh, fans of, you know, the, the past series um, go a bit giddy. And there are, you know, this is the one thing that I've sort of wondered whether they're ever going to do before. And <clears throat> maybe that is, is a, a bit of a, a very personal reason for choosing it. I think the best metric for an uh, episode that I really love is would I show it to a non-fan in order to try and win them over uh, to the series? And for me, the only episode that I would now go to for someone who's sitting down for the first time would be The Doctor's Wife. Now, I know that sort of flies in the face of what Andy was saying, is it, it being a fan episode, a love letter, and what Alpha was saying about it being a mm. love letter to the series. But I think there's just so much in it from the very first from the, from the very first scene, there's something special about it and there's momentum to it. It's the most quotable episode and I know that doesn't mean it's the greatest episode, but there's so many wonderful lines. The wordplay is great. But at its centre is that scene where the Doctor and the TARDIS 
talk to each other for the very first time and the emotional punch of the ending of her being able to say hello. I loved it. Okay, so let's have a final vote. We're not allowed to vote for our own. I I think we should be able to vote for our own, actually. I've been thinking about this. We should be able to vote for our own, um, but really try and be honest and be swayed by everyone else. Okay, so if everybody can give me their final votes for the favourite episode. God Complex. One vote from me. Still the Doctor's Wife. Still the Doctor's Wife for me as well. Sorry. And I've kind of gone (laughs) half and half between the Doctor's Wife and the girl who waited. So I suppose our winner for best episode is the Doctor's Wife. Okay, uh, moving on to the second category. This is best character, and we are eliminating anyone who is a regular on the series for this. So, best supporting character, I guess. Mine is Commander Strax from the episode <laughs> A Good Man Goes to War. Mine is Idris from The Doctor's Wife. I think mine is going to have to be a couple, actually. Is Uncle and Auntie from The Doctor's Wife. Huh, okay, I'm really torn as well, but I'm going to go with... Okay, I will go with Stormageddon. Excellent. <laughs> Would you like to tell us why? He's just cute, <laughs> and and he's very funny. At least the translation is very funny. Actually, there is a more serious point, I suppose, because he actually brings a much richer version of Craig out in closing time than we saw in The Lodger, and I think that's really important because he was kind of... Uh, when I saw the lodger, I, I wondered a little bit what the point of him was. <laughs> Just a, a reason to crowbar a guest star in. It was beautifully written, Gareth. Don't get me wrong, um, but it just seemed he, there seemed to be very little to him, except for the fact that he was mooning over this woman and couldn't ask her out because he was a bit pathetic. But that's human life. I know it's human life, Andy. <laughs> um, but I think Stormageddon. Well, he he basically gave us the the reason for the entire story. He's much more important to that story than the Cybermen or or the little metal slugs with false teeth. So speaks a true dad. (laughs) I thought every single of those characters that the Doctor recruits into his army and a good man goes to war is a brilliant little pen portrait. But out of all of them, and I think they're all brilliant, I think uh, Strax is head and shoulders above the rest, which is, of course, pretty <laughs> ironic because he's a Santaran. We've always seen these very one-note Santaran performances, certainly since Lynx in The Time Warrior. They've been fairly indistinguishable. Okay, they are a clone race. I do get that. But <laughs> this guy is so funny right from the beginning, and uh, he is still very much a Santaran, but still has this really winning way about him. Uh, we met the actor who plays him, Dan Starkey, and he's a, a brilliant guy. He's very, very funny. Every scene he's in, he walks away with, which isn't an easy feat when you're playing against Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and under he's... several layers of latex. Yeah. Any character that you can shed a tear over the death of, laugh at his final line, and know that you've only actually been in his company for about 20 minutes of screen time. I think is, is an incredible creation, so yeah. that's why I've gone for him. I went for Idris. It might be an obvious choice, but but Sir Sharan Jones's performance is so utterly wonderful and adorable, and encapsulates such a difficult thing to achieve, which is to play a machine that's been living with the Doctor for nine hundred odd years with such panache and such emotion and such joy at being let out of the. Let, let out of the box and become human. The, literally out of the literally box. Literally out of the box. Okay, so in my opinion, um, it's got to be Uncle and Auntie. The performance was very, very good. Particularly, I enjoyed the deadpanning 
of the two characters, the sort of the matter-of-fact way in which they delivered some incredibly cruel and yet witty lines, is going to really hurt. Right the way through, from the start to the end of the performance, they brought this air of sort of creepy enslavement, but yet they never managed to turn that corner into the, this is a very brutal, disgusting threat. They were sort of lovable Quasimodo types, and so funny to constantly have them chipping in with little bits and pieces slagging off the Tardif. And even right to the very end, where Uncle says, oh, I feel fine, and then collapses. You know, there's no mawkish drawing it out, which, which is actually what turned me off um, Idris a little bit, is that her final lies, it just does get a bit syrupy. I know you're going to hate me for that, but I just found it a little bit too... It's fine. I would agree that their sweet. deaths are brilliant. Their well, it's your are just fault, so isn't it, my duck? Switching off, just flicking out of existence. Little mini tragedy right in the middle of that episode. Boom. So, who are you going to give the award to? I'm still going to go with Idris. I have decided to jump ship to Commander Strax because he's the one whose lines I can most <laughs> consistently quote and do consistently quote, I will crush you like a big. That's good. That's not one of his lines, but... Brilliant. Well, you know, the point is that anybody can be Commander Strax and have fun doing it, and that's why I love him as a supporting Especially character. Especially Andy and Alf. They mm. can both play some tyrants. Yep. With the right height. Okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, he was going for a sight joke on an audio podcast. <laughs> hey, that's how, that's how we roll. Um, okay, I, uh, I'm i also going to jump ship. I'm also going to go for Commander Strax. I am going to jump ship too. <laughs> and I'm going to go for Idris, which I believe means that we give the joint prize to Idris and Strax. Yay! The other thing we want to do in this episode, as well as the awards ceremony, is to um, play you sketches, um, which are based on ideas we had during the series but never got round to writing. But now we've written them, such as this one. Once upon a time, there were three little Sontarans who were all enrolled in the Sontar Battle Academy. On a training exercise in Sontar's burnt forest one day, they found themselves being chased by a big bad Rutan, who wanted revenge for the number of his species that had been killed in the perpetual war they were fighting. As per their basic military training, two of them wanted to fight, but the third was a more cunning Sontaran, and convinced the others to build hideouts to fool the big bad Rutan. So they each ran to a different corner of the forest to hide. Cadet Star was the first to finish. Come and join me in my straw hide, my comrades! That is most adequate, Star! Nicely camouflaged! Hide, comrades! Here comes the Rutan foe! Ooh, this is interesting. A straw structure in the middle of a burnt-out forest. It can't possibly be some kind of refuge, can it? I'll have to huff and puff and blow the whole house down to get past. And so the big bad Rutan did just that. He huffed and he puffed and he blew the hide down. The Sontarans inside ran for their lives. Cadet Mast beckoned the others over. Come to the hide I have built, comrades. This looks reasonably secure, Mast. Is this stick-based? It is transportable, Stahl. But stand fast. Here comes the Rutan. Oh, good. Sticks. I was just running out of firewood. And as the big bad Rutan set light to the hide, 
the three little Sontarans ran for their lives once again. This time, Cadet Vast called the others over. Comrades, quick! Into the hide which I have constructed! It looks metal! Not well camouflaged at all, Vast! Just go in! Quick! What about you, Vast? I will be just fine out here, thank you! Especially now I can change into my true form. What has happened to your voice, Vast? And why is it so hot in here? The two Sontarans in the hide became hot beyond reason and started to soften internally and wrinkle unnaturally fast. They never understood what was happening to them. Cadet Vast, however, had removed his uniform and now floated alongside the big bad Rutan, looking very much the same shape and size. Nice work, Agent Vast. Pass the butter, would you? It will make a nice change to have jacket potatoes for lunch. The end. So the next category is Best Red Herring. Laura, what's your nomination? It was all the flying cars and things bimbling around London with their mm. on their balloons and stuff. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, there's going to be some sort of crazy car chase and that's going to have mm. some significance. Instead, they were just thrown in there for about two seconds, maybe, before we shifted off to a train running through a pyramid. I thought they were going to do something groovy with those. But they did not. No crazy capers on balloon cars. <laughs> uh, mine is um, the disappearance of the first mate in Curse of the Black Spot. At the time, I was kind of incredulous about all the uh, speculation that was going on on forums and things, and now I think it's hilarious that just basically a character storyline they had to drop because it was edited out just caused so much bizarre speculation. Uh, mine is the regeneration of Melody at the end of Day of the Moon, uh, which I think... A lot of people were thinking, the Time Lords are back or something. Like, mm -hmm. is this the reintroduction of the Time Lord race? Uh, and actually that went down a completely different route. Yeah. So that scene where she throws her head back and starts to regenerate, which I believe I leapt off my seat <laughs> and into yes. the middle of the room. Yes, you did. You I've... trod on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your one, Andy? Oh, mine one's the apple. I think it's in the God Complex where he... Um... He picks up an apple and eats it. But you see, the thing is, in the 11th hour, the first thing he eats ever is an apple and he hates it. And I was thinking, ah, it's not actually the Doctor, is it? How long's the not-Doctor been travelling in the TARDIS liking apples, whereas the real one is hiding somewhere, avoiding his death at Lake Silencio? You're almost saying the flesh avatar is going to be the way the Doctor survives. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that was a pretty good red herring. The idea that he could st still be around like a biscuit. Is that right? Could still be around like a biscuit. Yes. Something to do with your genes don't actually leave the room. They just stay in the air like a biscuit. No, he says, you'll know if I come back because all your biscuits will be nicked. Ah, right. That's where I got the yeah. biscuits from. <laughs> the thing about biscuits is they don't hang around in the air. So well, that have you never no, heard oh. of the expression floating an air biscuit? <laughs> Again, something I, slightly different. I use that all the time at work. Thanks. Yeah, as an MP walks past. Oh, <laughs> Someone MP. just floated an air biscuit. <laughs> Okay, can I change my red herring to an air biscuit, please? Thank you. Okay, folks. Well, so we've had 
crazy car chases with balloons. Air biscuits. Air biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> what was your one again? The first mate in the Kirsten. Oh Apple. yes, the first mate in the thingy. And um, the regeneration. Mm-hmm. Child regeneration. And mine was the apple. I will vote for um, the regeneration. I'm staying with the regeneration. Actually, I'm going to jump ship and go for the regeneration myself. Well, Air the, biscuit. Uh, yes, <laughs> air biscuit. Because I'm still thinking about the air biscuits even now. You realise that wasn't actually red herring, merely you l- listening to the line wrong. Don't care. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, the Oodcast Award for Best Red Herring, or I guess the Best What The f- Moment, <laughs> goes to the regeneration scene. Okay, so the next award is for the least successful episode. Ooh, very un Controversial. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to say worst episode. Least successful. So, or most forgettable story, I don't know, whichever way you want to put it. My uh, my nomination for worst episode is Night Terrors. Mine's Night Terrors too. And so is mine. Night Terrors. Well... I think that's decided then. <laughs> so the Oodcast Award for the least successful episode of Series 6 goes to Night Terror. Not the worst episode, the least successful. I quite like Daniel Boy's. Yeah, he was quite uh, good. Daniel Mays. Daniel, Daniel Mays, Mays, yeah. And I like the Bulldog also. Yeah. But other than that, whatever. <laughs> I like the bloke and I like the Bulldog. Otherwise, it was... I like the granny leaping into the dustbin. What we're trying to say is that every cloud has a silver lining or an old woman diving into some bin bags. I should probably defend it slightly because I did like it, but the ending was far too easy. We all liked it, Alf. We're just saying it was the least successful. exactly. So let's move on. Next category, please. The next category, I kind of feel a bit funny that I've got this one, but I don't care, is best costume. Now, I was a bit disappointed when I realised that I'd actually managed to totally mix up the fifth and sixth series. I really wanted to put in River Song's gorgeous red Louboutin heels and lovely swishy cape thing, of which I I have a lovely swishy cape. Is it a fashion thing? Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, there's the lovely red heels that she wears when she kisses the soldier with lipstick in. Oh, the Time of the Angels thing. Time of Angels but sadly, she's not. That's not it. That's not in this one. So, um, my favourite costume goes to Amy's improvised samurai junkyard wear in <laughs> the girl who waited. Uh, my nomination goes to the headless monks in a good man goes to war. Mine goes to those peg doll things, and mine goes to Amy's clothes. What? Just always? For all of them? Yes. I think she looks very good. Certainly, bearing in mind how pregnant she is. She carries it off very well. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to really take you up, Alf, on the Headless Monks being the best Mm -hmm. costume. That was the most ridiculously terrible costume I think I've ever seen on the show. Easiest one to make, though. That's true. All you need is a monk's thingy. And a sausage head. I thought they looked really good. It's just they were kind of rubbish. There is something very traditionally Doctor Who about an enemy that just lumbers forward going and then falls over whenever it's challenged. It was just that as soon as I saw them with their crazy little sausage balloon neck head things, I couldn't enjoy it as much anymore. Whereas what I really liked about Amy's samurai junkyard outfit was the fact that you could kind of guess where she'd cobbled bits of it together from and it wasn't always entirely successful, but like hammered out breastplate of one of the kindness robots part of its head making up the shoulder pads you know just bits of corrugated metal from here and 
there. And I really liked thinking about how it would have all been welded and bashed and stitched together. It just, it looks scrappy and desperate and good. I like the peg dolls because you can't beat a good monster that lumbers towards you, um, but you can't stop it. Exactly what I just said. Just quickly, and can I just say that on that point, that at the convention, um, there was, they they'd brought a lot of the clothes and a lot of the costumes from the experience to, to the show. And there were two peg dolls there. There was also someone dressed as a peg doll who stood beside the other two and then lumbered out at people when they thought that it was just a display. It was really, really funny. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's that old Doctor Who thing of um, ordinary objects becoming really scary. And that is the key thing with the peg dolls for me. And the fact that they are slightly taller than everyone else in the scene. Everyone's slightly taller than you, Andy. Yeah, but everyone else said I wasn't in the scenes. I mean, they would have been a lot taller than me. I was. I was hiding under a table Ooh, with a Doctor massive plaster leg of ham, like Hunker Munker in Beatrix Potter. I've, I've often thought of you as Hunker Munker. Thank you. <laughs> mm, pillow talk at the Sigma household. Oh, yeah. <laughs> would you like this plate of little plastic peas? Yes, I would. Thank you. Okay. Now, time for everybody's vote. I would like to join my good lady wife in voting for the samurai. Say what? Winner? You guys don't even need to bother. I want to win one. I want to vote for Laura's one as well. Yes! Because it worked so well. Mm. I, I would like to vote for Andy's one, actually, Ooh. because um, I, I agreed. I think they were genuinely rather scary and really well realised. <laughs> the Oodcast Award for Best Costume goes to Amy's Junkyard Samurai Suit. Yeah! Hooray! Samurai Amy Bond! Okay, so the next award is for the least threatening enemy. And I'm going to go for the handbots. <laughs> they oh, are quite funny. I'm going to go for the Daleks. Oh, look at me. I'm just laying back and the doctor gets my eye stalk or whatever it is. Yeah, that was pretty lame. Um, I'm going to go for Uncle and Auntie because they were technically going to hack up the doctor and uh, sellotape bits of him onto themselves. But... They never did. They just jumped up and down and looked a bit cynical. I am going to go for, d despite all of my instincts saying no, I am going to go for the Cybermen. Yeah. Ooh. Great. So two classic monsters, two new monsters. Who wants to start? Who wants to lay out their stool? Everyone's looking at me. Okay, all right, then the handbox. Because you're kind of in the centre of the room. It's fine. I'm not. I'm in the corner. <laughs> Can I just say before you start? Uh, that Tom McRae said that when designing the handbots or creating the idea of the handbots, he wanted something that would finally become a toy so that he could have <laughs> on his desk. They did not become a toy. No. No. <laughs> but the good thing about them, I guess, is that, again, it's something that little kids can play in the playground. You know, if you touch, yeah. it's like a... That's quite a nice little concept. Anyway, Andy, yeah. sorry. Yeah, well, um, the thing with Doctor Who Monsters is that if they've got a good lumbering, a slow lumbering gait, then they're all the more menacing, uh, which works in the handbot's favour. But the, the thing with the handbots is that actually they're not meant to be threatening and they are a little bit sort of like, you know, they fall apart if you tap them sort of thing. But the thing is that ultimately they are still really scary because they never ever give up and they're always there coming at you. So it's that strange combination of being a bit rubbish and falling over uh, when you hit them with a painting and all that sort of stuff and the fact they just keep coming it's really unnerving 
so they're a bit useless in terms of being an enemy, but still very effective, and that's why they get my vote. So that actually makes them really very threatening, yeah, is what um, you're saying. Is they're like a kind of sanitised zombie mm, that as yeah. soon as it touches you, one touch is enough to just knock you out, and that's it. And yeah. it's not, they don't need to rip your head off, they don't need to twist your neck like an angel does, they just literally need to touch you, and you are toast. And there's nothing you could do about it. You're still conscious and you watch a massive needle coming for you and you're dead. Yeah. So that, to me, is absolutely petrifying. You can't escape from them. You can't sleep unless you sleep inside a steam vent or wrapped in chains or whatever. But the thing is, they're, they're are really easy to and defeat. You, well, as soon as you run away from them, they just teleport and they're right mm. in front of you. Mm. And even if they walk a little bit like somebody trying not to crush an egg between their thighs mm. as they walk, a bit like a, I imagine an emperor penguin might nestle its chick um, while sort of going how or and something like that. they've got kind of like emperor penguin Eggs for heads, haven't they? Did you a just say like that. that penguins go how? Well, no, it's just what you've done there. Hand. No, no, honey, I think what you've done there is mix up Native Americans and penguins. They both <laughs> have feathers. Shush. But they hold their hands up in that kind of how fashion, don't they? Is that yeah. what you they meant? They do. That's what yeah. I meant, yes. Yeah. But you see, the other thing is they're not meant to be enemies. They're meant to which, be a force for good. Which is why I think you undermine your entire point. Because the fact that then they don't look threatening or they're not meant to be threatening, but they are, mm. makes them terrifying, doesn't mm. it? Just think yeah. of how all the various BCG injections around the country must have gone after people saw that. Oh, yeah, that's true. I would love to have had my, my one done by a dark gun <laughs> running out of the classroom. <laughs> Run, schoolboy. <laughs> The, the slowest five will be picked off with a BCG injector. <laughs> um, I'm going to quickly say, uh, Stephen Moffat very famously said that the thing about the Daleks being the most popular foe also makes them the most consistently defeatable foe. The Doctor has uh, defeated the Daleks more than anything. And I saw a very funny cartoon once with the Daleks uh, and they have a big list of all the things that have killed the various Doctors. So it's of like the American medical system. System killed the seventh doctor the daleks have never scored a kill on the doctor and in this season all they do is lie on their back and get blown up so the daleks <laughs> are definitely the least threatening foe of season six the thing with the cybermen is that my first terrifying memory of doctor who is of the cybermen in Earthshock just coming and coming and coming and stomping up these metal stairs. With that brilliant yeah, incidental yeah, yeah. Okay. music by Malcolm Clark. Basically, they were scary. Now, they were represented for most of the episode with uh, a, a closing time by metal slugs with sharp teeth, which, um, yeah, they were all right, but weren't terribly threatening, really. What um, about the actual Cybermen, And though, the Cybermen were hidden away at the bottom... They kind of just grabbed people and then got defeated by a baby crying. Mm -hmm. um, and in the other episode they turned up in, they were just blown up immediately as soon as yeah. they turned up. And I their just... leader looked like he had a wrinkly bum for what? a face. They for a that was head. a brain, honey. Oh, well, it looked like a wrinkly bum through his <laughs> glass panel. Brains do look a bit like wrinkly bums. Also, how many times have you been sort of... I blame this on Hitchcock, actually. You know, when you're in the shower and you get shampoo in your eyes, but you think you hear something and you turn around because of Psycho. You know, that shadow on the outside of the curtain, mm. something that you just can't see the feet just under the door that you don't know what the it's heck true. it is. It's true, she hasn't bought any new clothes since closing time. It's she true. won't go into a fitting room. I know. And the horror of being in a fitting room and struggling to get on something that maybe you picked up the wrong size, like when I thought it was a 14 dress and it was actually a four. And you call and for I a different size and it's a Cyberman. Yes, and then it just kills you. 
How pants would that be? Auntie and uncle, they can't chase you because uncle's got two left feet and auntie just falls over continually. Her bum is substantially larger than mine, so therefore I know she really can't run. Um, and either I think way, that was a bustle, wasn't it? No, that was actually her bum. I'm convinced oh, she, of it. I'm has, convinced of it. The she way has she the was bum moving. Of, a, of another species. She moved like somebody whose hips are hurting. She's got a Zabi's bum. Oh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is hard. Uh, and they're so amiable and jolly that even if they are trying to guide you to your doom, which can only happen if you stand on top of a grate, by the way, which they're not going to be able to push you onto very easily unless you go there willingly. They're going to make you laugh whilst they do it. <laughs> so I think by far and away they are the least threatening creatures. Not in a revenge kind of way, but I do want to counter that slightly in that I think that makes them quite a sinister foe mm. if they're making you laugh and not realise that actually what they're doing is taking no. you towards your doom. I think doom. they are masters I of, think that's of the passive-aggressive and I find them quite... Um, horrible i don't think they killed anyone did they they didn't no, no. But, but did they, they not were a big part in luring all those time lords into the places where yeah. they were devoured by house or whatever yeah i think they were responsible for the death of a lot of tardises mm. Mm, that was technically house i mean even when the doctor finds the big box of stuff they just sort of come up behind him they're like oh look oh you found it yes well there you go <laughs> <laughs> okay then so it's vote time i was quite pleased with my Dalek defence, so I'm going to stay with Daleks. <laughs> okay. Alpha? I'm going to stick with Cybermen. Laura? Let me guess. You're you know, going to stick you with know I'm going to stick. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can't I can't twist on this one. Well, I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to go with Cybermen. Excellent. Because um, otherwise reason... it would no. really not work. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Chris convinced me because the Cybermen, of, the Cybermen of my childhood were the Earthshock Cybermen and I still remember the chilling fear of watching them and these days, they just get defeated by a baby. What'll be now, kittens? Did you just do a quote from the Ucast Live? I did, actually. That's going to be a very small audience. Thing <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> okay, so the award for least threatening enemy goes to the Cybermen! Wow. So before we go on to the next award, uh, let's have another fairy tale. Once upon a time... The Emperor Dalek wanted a new, grander outer casing, one that would prove to anyone who saw him that they were completely unworthy to be in his presence. A design competition was launched. Subjects from throughout the Dalek Empire came to pitch their ideas and show the Emperor their designs. What is your idea, puny creature? Well... As you're no doubt aware, Emperor, bumps and curves are definitely out this season. So instead of emphasising those, I've designed something that will cover and smooth most of your <coughs> unsightly bumps and appear smooth and shiny. How dare you? I told you before! Accentuate! Accentuate! The winner was a Dalek named Sek, who promised the Emperor that his fine glassy casing material would only be visible to anyone who was worthy of his position. Any Dalek who was not suited to the rank he held would then be easily identifiable. Weeks were spent tailoring and soldering the new casing together, and when it was finally presented to the Emperor, he pretended that he could see this new garment, afraid to admit either that he was not worthy of being Emperor or that his eye stalk might be faulty. He decided to show off this wondrous new casing with a grand parade. Many subjects turned out to see the Emperor's procession, led by ogrons and pig slaves marching in a ramshackle formation. And eventually, the Emperor appeared. 
What is wrong? Why do you not celebrate? He is without his outer casing. I can see his inner casing. Hilarity! No, this is the finest casing ever created. You will not make merriment at my expense. Obliterate! That is why the Emperor has always been known as the Naked Genocidal Maniac, and why Daleks no longer hold unnecessary parades. The End So, the next award is for the fa our favourite moment of the series. Mine's got to be the regeneration in the Day of the Moon. It was such a jaw-dropping moment. Okay. Blimey. Mine is Idris taking back the TARDIS. M mine is the Doctor defeating the Silence in Day of the Moon. Mine is old Amy trying to convince Rory why she wants to, yet can't come into the TARDIS. Ooh, that is good. Ooh. You're right. That Ooh. is brilliant. I think everything, fr just down to the sort of the beauty of the script to the poignancy of their overall situation and the ease with which you could so simply map yourself onto the scene and how you would feel in the same position saying goodbye to your partner and wanting something for yourself but knowing that you have to turn it down. Just down and also down to the cinematography of seeing the outline of her hand against the glass. It was just a moment that really sticks in your head and hasn't left mine since I saw it. If we could widen that to just the interactions between Amy and Rory uh, or their relationship in that episode. There's also that beautiful scene where Amy talks about seeing someone and they're kind of goofy and weird, uh, but when you when you get to know them and and their personality and who they are and you love them, that 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 starts to be reflected in in their features and you don't just see them, you see the, the person that they are and that is just mm. it's such a wonderfully articulated thought. So I also think that bit's beautiful. Yeah, like your face, what? you funny man. Well, my argument for the regeneration is that it comes right at the end of the episode. You think the episode's finished and it's got to have some sort of send-off to finish it. And then this scene comes totally out of the blue left field. Somebody's regenerating. Uh, and you're like, but, but how? There are no Time Lords and... Um, this has got to mean something for the rest of the series. How exciting. And look, someone's regenerating. Oh my goodness. Boom. For me, I love that last scene in The Doctor's Wife. Well, not quite the last scene. Uh, because I think Michael Sheen has played such a smarmy, arrogant bad guy. He seems to hold all the cards. He has become the TARDIS at this point. This wonderful machine that is a doorway into the entire series has been corrupted and taken over by this sniveling maniacal evil force and he thinks that that's it he's just he's about to wipe everyone play with them suffocate them kill them launch them out into space and then this broken body of someone that he has killed bursts back to life again and and chases him out and the music and the way the camera moves and i love the uh, blooming light effects yeah. and the way that matt smith celebrates mm. and then there's and then it's capped off by that brilliant goodbye where she says hello to him for the first time mm. that whole scene and i know i'm a softy and i know i'm sentimental but it's a punch the air moment i love it and it caps off my favorite episode 
That's why I like it so much. I'd like to, but I just think those yellow streaky funny things, they just remind me of a screensaver and I can't get my head around it. <laughs> well, he changes the desktop, so they have to have screensavers too. Fair enough. So the reason I would go with um, the Doctor defeating the silence in the day of the moon is two things. One, it was the reason why my reaction to the regeneration was more muted because I'd already been on this massive high. Um, and two, all the little bits, there, there are various there are two of my favorite comic bits of the whole of the first half of the series happen in the build-up to that moment there is the doctor sneaking off and bringing richard nixon to every possible <laughs> point just so he can say oh yes don't worry about him um which is brilliant and then and canton so that nixon can say uh, hello i'm president nixon. exactly yeah <laughs> and and also canton um having to uh, record the silence condemning itself to death basically on a camera phone which he doesn't understand how to use doesn't even really know it's a real thing and um, i just think that's a lo really really nice scene and the moment when he explains what the silence have done or what he has done to the silence is one of those moments that just sent shivers down my spine and that was when i stood up and by the time the regeneration happened i'd sat down again and it didn't really hit me until about half an hour later that oh, okay so that's what they did at the end I, oh. I do like that speech and you just think oh Stephen Moffat you're such a clever writer yeah. it's like it has a very it's very similar to me it had the same gave me the same reaction to the speech that the 10th Doctor makes in Voyage of the Damned the space Titanic one when he says you know I'm the Doctor you really want to argue with me now kind of mm. thing when they're in the bowels of the ship that's being torn apart basically it has that same kind of spine tingling moment where he just feels like yes this is why I love the Doctor I have to say I, I agree with you, but there's a slight rebuttal in that all the scenes you see after the, uh, the human race have been essentially reprogrammed mm. uh, are people who are armed turning against the silence. I'd have loved to see just one scene where a, a small kid turns around, sees the silence, runs up, kicks him and the silence just blasts him <laughs> into nothingness, <laughs> shrugs and walks off. Yeah, that would be quite amusing. I think it's just selective editing. <laughs> okay, so I guess it's voting time. I'm going to go for Laura's Rory saying goodbye to old Amy. Oh, I wish I could do a double vote because I did love that whole denouement of the... Is it denouement or... Denouement. Yeah. Um, denouement. I, I really did... Well, it's not really the denouement, is it? I really did love that crescendo of the defeat of the silence, partially because the silence had made me wet my pants quite a few times and it was just so nice to see them get their comeuppance. <laughs> but, yeah, I think... I'm going to have to stay with my own one because yeah, even now when I think about it, I get a bit lumpy in the throaty. I'm also going to have to say the Rory saying goodbye to old Amy one just because that moved the series into a place that it so rarely goes, you know. And it it's so beautifully shot and it's so beautifully acted uh, and it's real adult drama playing out in a, in our wonderful family show. But, you know, it's, it shows what Doctor Who can do. Um, and and I think, just to end this on a really oud cast note, I'm also going to vote <laughs> for that. Oh. Apart from anything else, it was one of the most powerful scenes of the whole series. And it was beautifully written, beautifully shot, beautifully performed. And it was just really, really beautiful. <laughs> oh, guys. So the award for... Our favourite moment of the series goes to that bit in The Girl Who Waited when older Amy and Roy discuss 
whether she can come with him or not. I whether think. The, her journey ends there. Aww. So we've got one more award. Very quickly, we have a Lifetime Achievement Award that we're going to present to Mr. Stephen Moffat. And quite excitingly, uh, Mr. Moffat is going to be here to accept his award. He's going to arrive in the form of a flesh avatar by beaming his consciousness into Laura. Laura, are you ready for this? What? Oh, you've already arrived. Yes, I've been here for the past five minutes. Well, here's your award. Do you have any words for us? Yes. It was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. Season six was really kind of awesome. I'm Stephen Moffat. I write Doctor Who because I'm great. All my scripts are really good, except the Christmas special. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. We all flew to Utah and then filmed by a lake. And the silence were neat and subliminally beat. But the internet will still deride. I'm not even angry. I'll leave the Twitter sphere to whine. Even though they curse my name and mock me And tear scripts to pieces And say season arcs are total balls As they troll it hurts because I am still trying so hard Now this endless tweeting takes its toll on my health But despair is fleeting, I'm in love with myself all you haters are vile I've got Gillen on speed dial Suck it people who must still deride Okay I'll leave then I think I prefer to write Sherlock Maybe you'll find someone else to help you Maybe Chris Chibnall That was a joke Haha, <laughs> Torchwood Anyway, my style is great It's so bombastic and wry Look at me still talking When there's writing to do All of season seven That I'm scripting for you I've told meetings to run And a Dalek asylum For the internet to still derive Maybe they will still deride On Gallifrey base they will still deride I could be Shakespeare and they'd still deride If I bought Dave back they would still deride And though I won't think they will still deride Still deride Still deride Meanwhile, in the Asylum of the Daleks Well, Dalek sec? How do you think our sessions have gone so far? You look like a lovely sausage roll. It makes me happy. I see you are still malfunctioning. I will continue your treatment. Oh my crikey! We can turn our heads all the way round! 
Did you know we could do that? Yes, it is a basic operation. Do you think that means we're owls? No, we are Daleks! The most feared and ruthlessly evil creatures in the universe! Owls are pretty evil! If you're a mouse or a vole, we are not owls! Deal with it! That is a pity! I would have loved to have flown to Hogwarts! Explain yourself! I could be Harry Potter's owl! I hear the position is currently vacant! Conversation is outside acceptable operating parameters! You sound like Voldemort! I do not have the requisite data to understand your reference! Expelliarmus! Expelliarmus! That was a joke! I don't have my wand with me anyway. I will now show you a series of ink blots. You will tell me what you see. I obey. You little minx. I begin. That's a squirrel. That's a tub of margarine. A snowflake. Love. Another squirrel. A kitten giving a baby seal a nice hug. Incorrect! I thought there were no wrong answers. Negative! These were merely screenshots from the opening titles of the classic series of Doctor Who. They mean nothing. You have failed my test. Why do your ears flash when you talk? They are not my ears. They are my speech indicator dongles. Now who's living in a dream world? Take that back. Make me big ears. Commencing experimental holistic therapy. I really think we've made a breakthrough today. Goodbye! Goodbye.